2: Okay, we're here on Conspira Normal. This is your host, Adam Sane, and uh, tonight I'm going straight into the interview. Uh, Luke is not here tonight. Uh, neither is Chris, so I have on the line uh, Mr. Paul Browning, and Paul is a, uh, well, he's a, I guess, kind of local for me, uh, uh, ghost hunter in the area, paranormal investigator. Uh, he lives out Clarksville. I'm here in Nashville, so He's a little bit down the road from me, but uh, still pretty much like Middle Tennessee local. And I uh, just wanted to bring uh, Paul on the air, talk about his cases, and uh, talk about the things that he does, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the uh, kind of like the state of paranormal research at, towards the end there. But uh, Paul, I want to welcome you to uh, Conspiranormal.
3: Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I know we talked about doing the show, the mid Paranormal Convention, and uh,
2: here we are. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, we uh, met you over there at the, the uh, Mid-South Paranormal Convention, actually a couple of times, uh, once in 2011, uh, where you were, uh, had a booth dealing with the Octagon House, and then uh, this time, now this year, about a month ex- or so ago, and uh, I just wanted to bring you on, uh, if you could kind of go on, talk about you know who you are, what it is that you do, uh, some of the cases that you've been on.
3: Okay, well,
1: um,
3: <clears throat> my, uh, my story, so to speak, everybody seems to have one, um, began when I was 17 years old and uh, involved some paranormal activity that happened in my house. That, and I, I attribute it to the death of my grandfather because nothing in this house had ever happened before. And the house was over 150 years old. Uh, I just found it ironic that just after his passing, Within 24, 48 hours, I had four model television sets moving around on plush rug carpets, three-door filing cabinets that took myself, my father, my brother, uh, to kind of muscle around for my mother, who kept all of her genealogy in it, uh, to move it around. I found it one morning uh, after being woke up by my mother, and she was asking me why it had been turned around. It was actually facing the wall. We couldn't figure out how that happened. And there were other things that took place. But the thing about it is, it had me wondering, it had me thinking, you know, what what is this? How does this happen? You know, uh, what's, there's a whole lot of mystery surrounding what happens after you die and what you can and can't do and, and um, you know, whether or not that was, in fact, my grandfather. You know, a whole bunch of unanswered questions. But, of course, back in 19, oh, gosh, this is probably 83 or 84, there wasn't a whole lot to do, you know, as far as pursuing that interest. You know, yeah. It's not like today with, with the Internet. The, all the quick information that you can get. So, you know, years go by, and I'm doing all kinds of, you know, side projects and whatnot. I just happen to take a break, sit down. I uh, noticed that uh, after flipping a few channels on the television, that uh, we've got this black and white channel with some bald guy and somebody, and it's real quiet. they got flashlights, and I thought, oh, this is kind of weird. And I began to realize that this was a television show about uh, hunting ghosts, you know, paranormal research and investigations and all that stuff. And uh, which later I found out was this, uh, this ghost hunting show about the, the TAPS team. I know there's a lot of people out there that get inspired by these people, and I want to get yeah. out there and do their part and learn things. And uh, I can't lie. That's what actually made me think, you know what? Maybe I can pursue this now.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people were um, inspired by them. I kind of went down kind of a different kind of path in a way. Uh, you know, I really liked the show, but I was ever too much into like the actual research side of it or uh, right. going out and doing stuff. It was more just like a curiosity about ghosts and hauntings and what it was and, uh, you know, going to conventions, one of which is where I met you. And yeah. so you know, this guy's kind of inspired me in a way too. But you know, I was always interested in this kind of in this in this kind of stuff as well.
3: Yeah, it was, it was kind of strange, really, because you know, after watching that show and saying that they were recording voices of people that weren't there, that alone had me wondering just how true is this? You know, does this really right. happen? Is this Hollywood hokey crap? You know, what what in the world? And uh, so I started digging in and found that there was one kind of team in my area, and I tracked him down and uh, got with his group and found out quickly after about a month or two that I had already learned more than this man was doing. And I also huh. did find out that you could record these voices. So I thought, wow, there's, you know, I'm hooked. Now i got to learn more and do more because my interest really shot through the roof.
2: So where are some of the places that you, had, uh, that you initially started investigating?
3: Uh, years ago uh, you know, I was, you know, doing this with another gentleman and, you know, whatever process he used, he was helping people out of their houses. So I was initially, you know, shown the rope, so to speak, from this man. And, uh, we were doing, you know, houses, residentials, you know, stuff like that, businesses if they ever came along. And, uh, I thought it was kind of odd that, you know, we were going into people's houses trying to solve the problems, and we really didn't understand what was going on in the first place. So it's kind of like, you know, we're here to help, but we don't exactly know what that help is actually going to be. But that's what we're going to tell you, you know. Yeah. So it kind of made me nervous, and I thought about liabilities and things like that. So I changed, I changed tracks, and I started looking for public locations that were reportedly haunted in my area. And I I literally wrote physical letters in some of these places asking for permission to go out and do some work and research and see whether or not maybe I could figure some things out, you know, learn some things along the way. And uh, one of the places that actually allowed me to come out and do some research was the Octagon Hall. Of course, back then, nobody really knew about it or heard about it. You know, it was known in very, very tight circles, but uh, that's where I I started realizing that it was a legitimately haunted place, and then that's when my focus dropped completely, and I just centered in on that location and kind of let everything else fall by the wayside because, really, when you have a truly haunted location, um, you're looking at a gold mine for information, learning, discovering, all that stuff, and uh, I felt that it was a waste to you know, kind of go away from that. Now, I, I had formed my own team not not long just you know, probably just before I started doing the Octagon Hall. But uh, that team and I were very small, and so we, you know, while concentrating on the Octagon Hall, we still did residentials on the sides. But the help that we could offer was only whether or not we could determine if there was something really strange going on, or if it was just misidentified, you know, normal things. Now, that's the only kind of help we could really give a person, and I think that's what really most people could give a person. 'Cause personally I don't think that you can remove a ghost, move a ghost on. I don't think you can do a lot of the things a lot of people say, you know, I think you can <laughs> burn sage all you want, but really doesn't make anything go away. Yeah. Right. So but uh, it that's kind of what we did, you know, and, and so you know, octagon hall was, was our main focus and I did about six years of research out there and wrote a book about the place.
2: So what is the Octagon Hall? What is the history behind it? What are some of the things that you had gone out there, that some of the things that you had found?
3: Well, I know that the, uh, the homeowner uh, and the, uh, the house itself. The house itself actually was a pre-Civil War house with uh, eight sides, very unusual shape for a house. A lot of people wonder not, you know, whether or not that the shape of the house had something to do with why. Things still hang around out there. and Personally, I have no idea. No idea. Idea, I'm sorry. (laughs) And um, the family that lived out there uh, was uh, was a family of Southern sympathizers that did uh, have slaves on the property. And um, there were a few people who had died out there, including uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth, as Caldwell, um, she actually reportedly, and I, I don't personally have verification of this, but the stories uh, are that she died in a, in a fire, and they think it may have been, you know, one of those things where in the downstairs kitchen area near a fireplace, an ember may have popped out, and while she was running around a, a nearby table, she ran over that ember and it caught part of her dress, and may have, you know started the fire that way. Jeez. Um, yeah. And, uh, let's see, I, I believe there was a train not far from there. There's some tracks behind the property, and supposedly there were uh, some kind of an ambush took place, and Confederate soldiers evidently were trying to uh, derail the train, and the Union soldiers and whatnot had a skirmish with them out there, and two of those soldiers ended up on the uh, Octagon Hall property, one of which died in the attic from a, uh, a wound to the, to the foot, And another one, let's see, I believe there was a second death where uh, the the Confederate soldier died on the front steps. I think this was very, very, uh, um, the timing of this was very close to the actual derailment or the ambush, and one soldier managed to get to the property faster than the other one. They think the other one was crawling due to his injuries, but they found him dead on the steps uh, after a night of a heavy storm. And I guess while he was banging on the front door, uh, they were hearing, you know, the loud thunder outside and kind of confused one with the other. So uh, they never answered the door, and they found him dead on the front steps. But uh, the Colwell family, uh, uh, they occupied the house for uh, for a good while. And um, it's interesting that with the child that passed away and Union soldiers, um, we've got a slave graveyard right out back that has evidently, uh, you know, several of the slaves used to used to help out on the property. Uh, again, Southern Sympathizer and Union soldiers came onto the property. They uh, they were looking for these, these other soldiers that evidently they thought were responsible for the derailment and, uh, uh, one of the incidences that took place out there was that the the Union soldier that died in the attic with a foot with the foot wound um, was being um, hidden in the attic, the upper attic, and on the top floor. And I guess the Union soldiers that were there insisted they knew he was there and were not going to leave. And evidently, while they were hanging out there, the soldier in the in the attic uh, kind of loosened the. Tourniquet that was tied around his leg to keep from, you know, excessive bleeding, and he bled out in the uh, in the attic. So, uh, you've got three, you know, deaths on the property. Plus, you have all the people who've been buried there, and uh, you know, there's there's enough activity out there. We know that we get voices of children, of, of adults, males, females, uh, occasional singing. I've actually heard that myself firsthand.
2: Hmm. Wow.
3: Uh, shadows, I actually confronted them. about a three, three-and-a-half-foot shadow face-to-face, less than three feet from me. I could touch it if I wanted to. And uh, Was that inside the
2: house, or was that outside?
3: That was actually inside the house. Okay. You know, in their main dining hall.
2: So there's a there's a ton of death there and a ton of history that's, yeah. uh, that is that has gone on there at that location um, yeah. some of the kind of like things that you did there um, you know what were some of the other experiences that you had because like I think that you've you've had a lot of experiences in that one location more than any anywhere else is that correct?
3: Yeah that actually is where I've had the most um, what I consider to be paranormal activity yeah. in all of the uh, investigations I've ever done Hands down, the Octagon Hall is the top spot for me. Um, I've had uh, EVPs, you know, plenty of times, including one that actually called me by my first name. That kind of shocked me. Hmm. And uh, I've i seen shadow figures. I've uh, I've seen something. I I still struggle to to define or to to describe because. It, this completely does not make sense at all. It's one of those things that you, it begins to make you rethink, you know, the possibility of what else could happen when 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 what happened actually t- you know took place. I'm stumbling for words tonight. I don't know what it is, but anyway, it's okay. Um, I'm thinking about a lot of different things, and they're all kind of hitting me all at once. But with this particular thing, and I've never talked about this on the on the radio ever.
2: Okay. okay. Wow. This, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, great. Wow.
3: <laughs> yeah, this, this is something no one else I've ever talked to on, online or on the radio or any kind of any interview. I've never I've never spoken about this particular experience, but thank God I had a, a witness with me. Uh, we both yeah. experienced it at the same time, but upstairs they've got in order from left to right, they have got four rooms at the top of the stairs. Starting from the left, you've got a nursery, and a hospital room, uh, and then a, uh, I think they call it the sister's bedroom, and then, oh, I'm sorry, the guest bedroom, and then the sister's bedroom on the far right. Now, the, the interesting thing here is that the two middle rooms, um, you can go into them from the top of the stairs, but they are also interconnected in a small hallway on the far side of each room, actually furthest away from the stairs. In other words, if you walk into the room and you continue walking into the room, further furthest to the back of the room, there's a hallway that connects those two middle rooms. Now I'll paint this picture and you can kind of see what you what you get out of it. Maybe you can maybe you can kind of uh, understand how I how I went about on this. A friend of mine, his name's Matt, he had never really investigated before. He was just really curious. He was a coworker of mine and he wanted to uh, to see some of this stuff. Well of course, you know Activity rarely happens when you want it to. This was one of those special exceptions. I never expected what happened to actually happen. So he's with me. We're using red flashlights. Half the night probably, you know, for our planned time there has has gone by. We go upstairs. We're not gonna go into the nursery, we're gonna go into the hospital room, we're in there. We talk and kind of try and do some kind of a passive kind of EVP session. Nothing's really going on. We decide to go through that back corridor that links into the guest bedroom. Now, we go into the guest bedroom. Matt is leading in before I, I mean, before me. He's about ten steps ahead of me, and he's got his flashlight, and he's panning it, you know, to the left of him, through the room. And as he's walking out of that room back to the top of the stairs, he's passing by this bed, and he shines his flashlight kind of As he's going by the bed, on the bed, the flashlight beam actually is crossing the length of the bed. It goes over the pillow and it continues on and he starts to walk towards the door. Well, that red light, as he turns the beam away from the bed, I see a red glow and a circular pattern begin on a pillow. Okay. And I thought, what in the world? Why is there a red pattern? And then I I said to my, my buddy, Matt, I said, whoa, whoa, wait up. Look, look, look. And he stops, and he turns around, and he says, What in the world? And he realizes it's not my flashlight. It's not his flashlight. We're in the dark. We've got a red light. It gets brighter. And then suddenly we see several objects that look like, I don't want to say kaleidoscopes, you know, pinwheel designs, I guess. And they're multicolored. They're kind of turquoise and red. Some are red, some are turquoise, and they're alternating, and they're spinning, and they're rotating, and they're inside this pillow beneath the fabric. Okay, there's a group of about six or eight of them. They're probably about as spread out as your hand, you know, when you ex- extend all your fingers. Now, I look at them, and they're slowly rotating. Each one is probably about a big around about an inch, inch and a half in size. And we're looking at this completely perplexed. I keep putting my hand above the pillow to see if there's something shining out of the pillow or shining down on the pillow. We're, we're looking at every angle in this room. and There's no way for this to happen. You know, at first I thought, well, maybe there's something shining on the pillow. But when we watched it go underneath the wrinkles of the fabric of the pillow and it actually blocked out some of the white, we thought, okay, well, it's got to be inside the pillow. So I start stepping back and trying to look for some kind of an alternative while this is going on. My buddy Matt's looking at this pillow the whole time watching this pattern of lights. One of them separates from the rest of them, pulses and rotates and drifts across the, you know the inside of the pillow towards Matt. So we're looking at this, and it's just freaking us out. We can't figure out what's going on. And then, just as strange, it stops, goes back to the group, and then they all begin coming up out through the top of the fabric of the pillow, and now they're in the air about three inches off of the surface of the pillow, and they're flat. They're like 2D. I can't explain this. They almost look cartoonish. Okay? Okay. Huh. Now I'm really going, this is insane. This shouldn't be happening. I don't understand. And now I know for sure this isn't something shining through a pillow. This isn't some kind of electronic effect under the bed that they've set up to stage or, or put on. Yeah. And I'm completely at a loss. I still don't understand what is going on. I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be something shining through this, through this room from some direction. So I'm scratching my head. Matt's just sitting giggling like a schoolboy. He can't figure it out either, and he's just having the time of his life going, I didn't know stuff like this happens in haunted places. And I say, this this is the first time I've ever experienced this. You know, and he's <laughs> he's he's just, you know, whooping it up. He's having fun, you know, and, and pretty soon these things start drifting towards the wall. And they go up along the wall, straight up from the pillow. They're still not touching the wall, and they start floating slowly in a cluster towards the left which would lead towards an AC unit slash window so I thought well maybe there's something shining in the window but again there's nothing there and they just start fading away it made no sense at all and I was completely and you know the worst part about this is all of our cameras are in placements downstairs
2: yeah you don't get it on film
3: right I've got audio of the whole encounter but I have nothing Nothing as far
2: as visual. You, you know what it reminds me of? Um, it, it 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 almost reminds me of like UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. in a way, except on a like smaller scale. Right. Uh, the Rendlesham Forest event. If you ever, I don't if you're familiar yes. with that, but that that was one that uh, that, that reminds me of just that completely reminds me of that because they were seeing those same kind of things happening with with uh, with the uh, with that event so yeah. that's extremely fascinating
3: yeah I, I, what what I do you did, make did it of it I'm sorry
2: what do you make of it what do you what do you think it could have been
3: I have no idea because it didn't look like it was something that represented a human it didn't look like something that represented a ghost or anything that I could define and that's what really yeah. The closest I could come to was thinking back on my childhood and watching Disney where they overlaid cartoons over real, you know, real video footage. And I thought, wow, it's, you know, kind of like fake blended with real. That's what I thought. Yeah. But it was so abstract. It was so unpredictable. It was, I can't define it. And I still, I don't know if I have the right words that I'm using to define the whole ordeal. I don't know exactly how to describe these damn things because you know, it just doesn't make sense. Right, but I saw it. Matt saw it. It was real. It was in front of us. We watched it come out of a pillow. Huh. So it was weird.
2: that, that is extremely strange. Uh, have yeah. you have you ever? I mean, uh, in any stories that you've heard, or any other investigations that in anybody else that has ever done. Have you ever heard anything remotely similar to that?
3: Up to that point, no. But I brought it up in okay. a casual conversation with a friend of mine, David Roundtree. It was a gentleman who was sitting next to me over at the uh, Mid-South Convention. Yeah. And he said that he had, he's had experienced something similar. So, huh. I, I guess this isn't something that, you know, I'm the first person to ever see,
1: but
2: anyway. Interesting.
1: But as yeah. far as
2: like full like apparitions, um, mm-hmm. has anyone that was on your team at the time or yourself seen anything happen there?
3: Now, as far as uh, real, you know, look as real as you and I, there was yeah. like one time, and I'm not talking about shadow type people. I'm talking about you know, right. look real. This is this is a this is a real goofy one too because. I was going out there on on not Halloween night, but on one of the nights they do what they call the haunted hall. Yeah. And uh, I remember I got there early because I wanted, you know, I'd helped them a couple years in a row, and I wanted to see, you know, what was going to happen in the hall because I really hadn't over the last couple of years. So I get there early with a friend of mine. We're pulling, you know, we're pulling up to the building, and I noticed that downstairs there's a, there's somebody dressed as a Civil War soldier peeping out at me through the window, and I thought. First thing that crossed my mind is you got to be kidding me. They're going to actually scare these guys with, you know, history, you know, Civil War people and stuff. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so, I uh, get out of the car and I mean, I'm I'm looking at down down this window and whatever it is evidently sees me. He's got a big thick, you know, uh, mustache. I couldn't even see much of his mouth at all, but I thought he was uh, medium build, I had a hat on slowly turning away. And I thought, I want to see this whole costume. I want to see the entire thing. So, you know, I started hustling down the walkway and uh, opened the downstairs entrance. And as soon as I opened that door, it wasn't two steps and I was in the hallway downstairs and I could watch him come out of the room that he was, you know, about to leave according to what I saw, you know, through the downstairs window outside. But as I stepped into the hallway, at the end of the hallway, there's three girls working on stuff and they all moved me And I said, uh, where is he? And they said, where's who? And I said, the gentleman in the Civil War uniform. I thought, there's no way he could have got upstairs without me seeing him or at least hearing him walk or something. And she looked at me and she said, that's funny. Yeah, okay, right, Civil (laughs) War soldier. And I said, no, seriously. And so we had a slight argument, and then I bolted up the stairs to see if maybe they were trying to fool me. But nobody ever saw that soldier.
1: Hmm.
2: So your initial thought when you first saw him was it was just some guy in a costume.
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was literally
2: that real. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Are there particular times of year over there that things seem to be more active?
3: Um, I don't spend too much time past October because it okay. just gets too cold in there. It's just not worth it. So I can't give you a whole lot of data during that time of the year. Right. But I do know that usually during the uh, the warmer months, um, late summer, I get I get pretty good results out there. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the right place, right time. I don't think there really is a you know um, a, a, a best time or a best date. I just think that you know it's a hit and miss thing. It's like fishing. Yeah.
2: What are some of the things that you did, like investigative? Like uh, I, I saw a, a video um, on your website that you guys had done, uh, like more like everyone dressed kind of like in a period costume, in oh, a way I, to try to bring. It, it was like a, kind of a way to to not. Uh, I think you said something like it was indirect provoking. Was the term right, that you for, used?
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that that, that I, I attempt to do my work. Uh, that is a lot different than what a typical people will try on their investigations because, um, as we all know, you've got you've got your scientific approach, which really, honestly, I, I believe is more of what should be called a technological approach because people are talking about hardware, not necessarily 100% science, and then yeah. you've got the other people that are into the metaphysical side, and sometimes we'll blend the two. Well... In my work, I discovered that I began doing a whole different line of thought. And that was, I was using a psychological approach. And that basically was where I was trying to outsmart the individual that I was trying to um, catch off guard at some point, somehow, to reach into their mind and say, what is going to make me curious to, to them? Rather than, you know, thinking about walking into a house and trying to find a ghost, Why don't I walk into a house and not find a ghost, not even look for a ghost. In fact, if there's something there, maybe there's something I can do that will make it follow me and want to know more about me and, and generally stick close by so that whatever yeah. I do it may work. And I have to tell you, it, it works. I mean, you can die, but it doesn't change the way you think, evidently. You know, you're still <laughs> human on the other side. So I tried dressing and period clothing in an attempt to draw their, their, uh, their curiosity and to you know, kind of give them a show, yeah. whether or not they might take an interest. And um, that stuff, it may work. I wasn't the first person to try it at the hall, but that was one of the things that I wanted to, to show on video, is one of the things that the public could do. And my quest to share information with the general public—that uh, was one of the things that we shot on video. It was the only thing that it seems that a lot of people who shoot television shows ever made it, you know, out there to the public. Because everybody else in television could care to less. They want entertainment. You know, they, they could care less about the truth, whatever. But yeah, we—we we tried the period dress thing um, on the video. It shows what you think may be a response when in fact it really is not and I tried my best to get a hold of the people in charge to tell them that the response that they think they got is not a response There is was actually a different recorder in a different location in the house picking up what I had just said
2: oh uh, okay yeah yeah I think you have to be careful with that kind of thing uh, yep TV will always try to embellish it but I think more about that later yeah uh, <laughs> Also, too, I think that you've uh, investigated over the, uh, well, actually, before I get to that, I wanted to ask, too, about, you know, more investigative techniques. And I think you you and I talked about um, the number of people that you have with you at a location. Yeah. That if it becomes too many people in there, Mm -hmm. more than likely things are not going to probably happen.
3: I, I really believe that. Yeah. If you scrape away and separate everything back to the way it was before you started in the investigation with all these people, let's say the house has a ghost in it. Let's say the ghost is one of the people that used to live there. But let's pretend just for a moment that the ghost is still here. Now, if the ghost was a regular person, and all of you people showed up at that house and opened that door and walked in with somebody standing there, the first thing you're going to think is, uh, fellas, we just walked into somebody else's house. This is kind of rude. Yeah. Um, and there's like 20 of us. And if you play the part of the ghost, who's now a human being, you're probably going to say, look, I'm being invaded, and I didn't invite any of you people here. So what am I probably <laughs> going to do? You know?
2: Probably going to hide or...
3: There you go. Maybe get
2: mad, possibly, but... Uh...
3: And, and that really is where most of my psychological stuff is, is built around. Forget about the fact that they've passed away. Put them back in a body. What would you do if they were there? You know, if you were in their house and you were looking for them and they didn't know you, how are you going to make them curious about you? How are you going to do all these different things that's going to draw their attention? You know, because you've already walked into their house and in their eyes you're probably invading. Uh, you're, you're probably not welcome there. And probably, you know, and for all you know, they're looking at you like a couple of thieves coming in to steal stuff from the house. I mean, what makes them want to just come out there and go, hey, golly, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm a ghost. You know, I'll talk for you. <laughs> People forget that. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, well, I mean, if, if I were, you know, sitting here right now and all of a sudden, like, some bodybuilder guy and a couple of guys with cameras came in and started yelling at me, I'd probably be <laughs> hiding. Just just yeah. a thought. You know. Yeah.
3: And you know, you pick up a really good really good situation there, you know. I won't mention exactly what show that is because anybody who's down the field knows what you're talking about. Yeah. But you notice they like to provoke and that kind of stuff really irritates me and makes me pretty mad. So I've learned that there are certain people with certain personality types that no matter what have this kind of thing they just feel like they gotta do.
2: Now, it made me think. Is... Hello. Hey, I don't know what happened. We just
3: <laughs> okay. It, it,
2: it must have been. Uh, it must have been uh, either Skype or are uh, on your end. I'm not sure, but you just like went dead. So
3: okay. No pun intended.
2: No, uh, you were talking. We were talking about um, provoking ghosts in a certain television show. And you said it made you think of something. Yeah.
3: It made me think of something. If you if you want to go over to your friend's house, okay, and he says, hey, you know, if you're thirsty, get your Coke out of the fridge. So you go to the, your fridge and you grab a Coke. Now let's say your friend gets up and goes out there to grab himself one and realizes the fridge is open. What's he going to do?
2: He's probably going to tell you the fridge is open.
3: <laughs> well, that's possible, but he's yeah. definitely going to shut the He's gonna, he's gonna oh, you're going to shut
2: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah or so say something
2: like, you left the fridge open, yeah.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah. and so if he's standing there and he says, yeah, you know, you want a piece of pie, get your, get your plate down and get you some pie. So you open the cabinet, get your plate down, start putting the pie on it, walk out and leave the cabinet door open, and he's standing there watching you the whole time. What's he probably going to do? Probably going to shut the cabinet. Yeah. He's probably thinking, you know, were you raised like this? You know, you know I'm mumble, mumble. And uh, I thought about that, and I said, you know what? For somebody who may be a neat freak, or, or for somebody that this kind of stuff irritates, this would get a response out of something that may possibly be in the house, because this actually happened in my sister-in-law's house. Huh. A couple times she's left, you know, a couple drawers out, or some cabinets open, and invariably she's sitting in the living room eating her food, and one by one she can hear them close out there. And this is not <laughs> long after her grandmother passed. So... There's another method right there you can use. You're getting a response, you're provoking to a degree, but you're not doing it directly, you know, to the point where you might irritate something to where you know, maybe it'll follow you home and try and irritate your family and you know, whatever.
2: Yeah. And you're not you're not sitting there you're not sitting there scream at them, but you might have a ghost with with O C D
3: That's true. And and really I'm I i do not want to make something mad that I can't see from following me I can't keep from irritating my family so why would I want to make it mad right we're just going to be in minor irritation by walking around leaving a few things out of place
2: right kind of just like a little bit of a nuisance in a way
3: right exactly you're kind of treated as a little bit of a test
2: Uh, one other place I think that you've uh, investigated is the uh, old South Pittsburgh Hospital over in South Pittsburgh Tennessee that's a pretty interesting place. Uh, what kind of uh, things have you done over there? What uh, experiences have you had there?
3: Um, I know that at one point we actually heard a phone conversation going on in a room right next to a phone outlet where there was no phone, which we thought was pretty weird. Um. Huh. Yeah, I've had. Uh, of course, you know you get EVPs out there. There's a lot of you, you get EVPs fairly easy, easy out there. Um, I was doing a Halloween event with those guys last year, and I was dressed up. I was actually uh, a Grim Reaper, a winged Grim Reaper. I could actually open these wings too, and it was, uh, it was pretty menacing. I had a moving jaw piece and everything, you know, on the skull. It was just it was awesome. And so they put me in this little cubbyhole area where uh, it was near uh, a corner. And so the tour would literally walk to that corner and on around, and I was backed up in a cubbyhole, and it would just kind of pop out and scare them. But I fogged up the place just before I would jump out. Well, the funny thing was I was just starting to fog it up, and there was something that I noticed because I, I, I was you know pushing this fogger's button down, that there was some kind of a half torso crawling around my feet. And I was looking at it, and I thought, what in the world is this? And I got so engrossed at looking at it, it looked like it was probably about the size of a maybe a five or, I don't know, three to five-year-old. Just crawling around on all fours, you know, torso, moving around in through the fog. And I was just so taken by this that I completely forgot that there was a tour group coming up on me. And I thought, oh, and I jumped up just in time to scare them. And when I looked back, whatever that was was gone.
2: That's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. When do you you see that, you just became fascinated with it. Yes. And I would think for me, that would probably scare me a little bit. Have you ever, and then you had to cut, concentrate until you could scare some people. But uh, I, have you ever had a moment where you just like, you were utterly terrified at any any of this stuff? Or is it just more that you're just, Completely fascinated, and it's it's become just something that you've you've studied that you know isn't going to hurt you, but it's more like of a, either a startle or just a total fascination.
3: I you know I haven't had anything thrown at me. Since yeah, I've been lucky. I haven't okay. had uh, I haven't had any. Well, I take it to, I take it back. There was this one place that I went to in Nashville. Okay, it was a business. Um, and. The people there were reporting that there was a place where they kept all of their data, a the room upstairs near an electrical room. And they said that every time they went in there, they didn't like it. The women didn't like going in there, and some people said they they've heard things up there, and you know they wanted us to check it out. Well, I went into this room looking for stuff, and uh, at one point, there was another gentleman on my team. He went in there with me. And in this room, they've got all this boxed material more or less around the center of the room, all scattered about in piles. And around the edge of the room, you know, there's there's walkways, but there's exposed beams that would literally, if you fell between them, you'd crash through the, the ceiling down below
2: yeah. the next room.
3: And uh, so we're in there, and he thought he saw something. So he goes around to the left side. I go around to the right side. And he says, I know I saw it. You've got to be almost on top of it. And I'm looking, and all of a sudden, this thing is screaming at me. And it's a woman, sounds like a woman, screaming like a banshee. And I'm like, that really, really got me. I mean, I literally, you know, goosebumps, the hair standing up, the fight or flight. And I'm locking in because the biggest thing on my mind is I don't want to look like a wimp next to this guy that's standing standing here. So I'm trying hard to, you know, stay rock solid and stand my ground while this thing is screaming in my face. I know, I mean, it's got to be right in my face. I think I've cornered something. And so finally, after about a a good minute, minute and a half, I start backing down because I can't take it anymore. It's just too loud and I'm too shook up. And it finally stopped screaming. So my buddy, he's like, what in the world was that? And I said, I don't know, but it was right in front of me. And I, I left the room. I waited about 10 minutes. I went back in, and this time I didn't hear it scream. But the funny part was, I had my digital camera with me. Now, on those digital cameras, when you when you turn it on to take a picture, a lot of times you get that little live view on your little viewfinder there. Right. And and while I was looking through that, holding the camera a little ways away from me to take some photos, because uh, I could hear that noise, I could hear faint screaming. There was something shadow-like. And the only way I can describe this is, it looked like it was shambling, arms and legs flailing. And I could see it plain as day, but when I looked directly at what I was taking a picture of, in other words, in the corner of the room that I was aimed at, I saw nothing. But on the viewfinder, you could see it plain as day, and I was really freaking out. So I thought, what in the world is this? Why, how come I can't see it with my eyes, but this camera can see it? I yeah. tried to take a picture. It wouldn't take. I held the button down. You know, normally you get that little click, 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 and then the picture. I held that thing down by the by the button and, and you know and the bottom of the camera on one hand holding the button down it would not take a photograph and to this day I don't understand why it did.
2: So you so, could see I, it in the viewfinder, yeah. you could see it in the in the display but you couldn't actually take a picture of it.
3: Right, not with the I couldn't see it with the naked eye and I couldn't for some stupid reason my camera would not take a photograph period. Wow now, The only other thing that was really weird about that case was before we went into that room, I had probably fifty chargeable batteries that I you know I had already taken care of about two hours before we went there. I've got rapid chargers and everything. When we got there and I set up and I opened those batteries, I pulled out one dead battery after another. The entire batch was dead.
2: Using the energy to manifest itself?
3: I don't know. Yeah. I just know that the, the batteries were I couldn't do anything. I literally had to operate on devices that could plug in. Uh, the camera. We ended up buying uh, some batteries for it before it would work. You know, just regular old batteries.
2: That was at that was at South Pittsburgh Hospital.
3: No, that was at an undisclosed location. Undisclosed location. You, okay. National, Yes.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, what do you think that? Um, uh, are you pretty set on that um, ghosts are, are human spirits? Do you believe that there may be uh, demonic as well?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I've been doing this since 2005. Yeah. Um, I've averaged probably 50 or more cases a, a, a year. That's about one a week. Um, the first year, probably not so much, but after that, it caught on pretty quick. And going out on a regular basis was pretty, pretty happening. A lot of those cases, I was going back to multiple times. It wasn't a one, you know, one-time deal. But um, I was constantly at work, you know, that often. Um, I've not gotten one demonic case. Okay.
2: Okay. But you believe maybe there is a possibility of that.
3: Well, that's just it. I don't know. Um, yeah. Do I believe in demons? I
2: really don't know. Okay. So kind of it's like on that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more of a kind of just you're dealing primarily with just humans primarily with just human spirits.
3: Most of the time. I believe time. so. Yeah. I believe so.
2: Just to kind of speculate a little bit. why do you think that they're they're here? Why do you think what keeps people here?
3: You know that's another good thing, uh, another good question to ask, and I think there's a ton of answers. That a lot of people don't really think about. But like anything else, let's say we do die and we do get to go to heaven. Let's say that we get to go to heaven and it's the greatest thing in the world. And let's say one of the one of the things, one of the aspects of, of being in heaven is that you have a chance to come back down and go anywhere you want because now you have the freedom to do whatever you want. You don't have to eat. You don't have to you know do all the daily rituals. You don't have to work. I mean, you can have everything you've ever wanted. And if one of the things that you wanted was being able to see your family again or go back to the places that were your favorite growing up or go see the world because you never got to when you were alive, that would be heaven to me.
2: Yeah, true.
3: So, you know, I think there's there's a million reasons. Maybe you're here because it's your favorite place. Maybe you don't want to move on because you have a fear that your religious beliefs hinder your ability to move forward because you're scared you're going to be judged and you think you haven't had a pure life. Maybe you've yeah. got, you know, unfinished business. Maybe maybe you're kind of materialistic even though you're dead. Hey, I paid for this house and it's mine and I don't want anybody here and I'm going to stay here to <laughs> make sure nobody gets it. No?
2: Well, certainly at the Octagon house you can see in a way, I mean, the the, the war that's going on around and uh, mm-hmm. like the little girl that was killed by the Emperor. certainly there's a lot of unfinished business and probably well, a lot of confusion as well. Um, well, you know.
3: I'm not too
2: sure about the confusion part, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering too about something. Um, mm-hmm. Some other people have told me about train tracks, and uh-huh. you mentioned the train tracks. And I've been up to the Octagon House. I've seen it, it is like right, ne- literally next to the train tracks. And mm-hmm. supposedly, I've heard something about train tracks can bring on whenever a train goes by. That can instigate paranormal activity. Is that something that you've run across? Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, I don't know if there's a correlation between the two, honestly. I've never yeah. done the research to prove or disprove, so I, I couldn't answer you on that
2: one. Okay. That's just a very interesting thing that some other people have told me about uh, train tracks. I just thought, yeah, kind of strange. But, um, I wanted to talk to you about your kind of views, uh, about the, uh, your views on the kind of like the state of the paranormal community. Where uh-huh. it is, and and uh, what's going on with it. Uh, you know, can you kind of go into that, how you feel about all that?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I know there's going to be a million different opinions about the state of the paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> um, personally, for me, this is for me, I think paratainment is what it is. It's entertainment. I think there are a lot of people who read too much into it and think that, you know, hey, we've learned the latest method on how to do our work. I think a lot of people lack critical thinking. I think a lot of people depend too much on buying a device, being sold by somebody, claiming it's the ghost detector. And the guys that make the device don't even know what a ghost is. So how do you detect a ghost if you don't even know what it is? And people overlook that. It's too quick of a, yeah, I'll buy it yeah, I'll use it, and gee whiz, it doesn't tell me anything, but it has blinky lights, and you know what, that's good enough for me. we got a ghost. You guys need to get out of here because it's bad news. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm skipping and jumping, and it's like a rock across water. You've got all these different facets that, that are just chaotic, you know, people who don't know what, what true paranormal activity is because they've never been to a genuinely haunted house, and they think that they know what it is because they got orb shots. Or because they haven't been in the field long enough to know what the difference of this and that is or because they can push a button on a camera and suddenly they're, they have definitive proof and they don't understand what, what bad phot- photography is or what a camera does that can create false positives, et cetera, on and on and on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if you ask me, when you have the ability to destroy the sanctity of a home because somebody invited you in and all you have to do is say the magic word, demon, and people are ready to move, people are ready to leave, and you have destroyed it, I think you need to be held accountable for that
2: stuff right, there seems to be too much of that going on where somebody will walk in and say, oh you got a demon here or, or you have like yeah. a self-professed medium on the team, and oh you guys have got a demon and and it's it's really bad, and
3: <laughs> yeah You know, one of the things that I found interesting, and I know this is going to seem kind of odd, but the research that uh, David Roundtree has made concerning the EVP phenomenon or these voices that are coming from somewhere else, I find it interesting that now that we understand that EVPs are actually nothing more than EMF signatures coming through in the audio spectrum, and this has been proven using dynamic microphones and electric microphones and a a certain setup using an an oscilloscope, We've got plans for building these things online. Um, That whenever somebody says, you know, I'm a medium, I can talk to the dead, whenever we pull out one of these devices, suddenly ghosts don't seem to want to come around mediums because, you know, you tell the medium, I can record anything they say to you right now, I've got the device to do it. So what does the ghost say? And they don't want to, uh, you know, the medium's looking at you like you're crazy. Uh, uh, Well, the ghost isn't talking to me. Really? So... You know, it's not that I don't believe that there are mediums out there. It's not sure. that I don't believe that there, are, that there are psychics out there. But I think when you, when you you know, some, some of these people, when you put them to the test and you say you've got hardware to record the voices, they tend to get a little less productive. Yeah. So, no offense, you know, if you've got the ability, go for it. But if you don't, you might want to wise up and stop fooling people.
2: What is your view on places that have really um, cashed in on the fact that they may or may not be haunted?
3: Oh, boy. This has become my latest hot topic. This is this is <laughs> something that, that really gets under my skin nowadays, and I really didn't think about it because originally I tried my best to promote some places. I really... Mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, these people want to see the real deal. They just need to come to this place and this place and this place and this place, and and that's that's nice, you know that that these these um, these locations that are lacking the kind of substantial funding they need to keep doors open. I get that, right. I understand that. that's valid, but when you're making money hand over fist okay, let's change things around a little bit here. Now, it's, suddenly, it's the moneymaker. You can tell me all day long it's nonprofit. profit I call BS. Yeah. You know, and if you think about it now, if you've got a haunted location and there's, there's ghosts in there, literally, these ghosts are now going to have to work for nothing to try and make the ghost hunters happy and keep everything going. And it's kind of strange. It's like saying, you know what? I passed away. I don't have to work. Why are you making me work? You know? Sir. <laughs> sure. Am I am I insane for thinking this way? Because, you know, really, I think that if you have a location that's haunted and you're not looking to get on television, you're not looking to make a bunch of money and use it as an excuse to, to turn it into a cash cow, you can build and I know this sounds ridiculous, but you can actually build relationships with whatever may be in there, because after they realize that you keep coming back, after they realize that you're not doing anything harmful, after they realize and listen to the conversations that you have, they're one-sided with whatever's in there, and they begin to realize, this guy is in a threat, this guy is not going to be harmful, but this is you know somebody maybe we can talk to, and maybe we can kind of hang out together, you know, so when somebody calls me by my first name in an EVP, that shows me they finally get it. I'm not a threat. There's no reason to run and hide. Yeah,
2: yeah I think probably that's pretty cool. Probably because they've been hearing other people call you that, and so now they've, in a way, have identified with you. Yeah,
3: and, and not to mention that when you go there, just because you've been, you know, been to a haunted place, does not mean that they will not follow you home to see what you're like at home. Yeah. You know, the investigators
2: can be the investigating so to speak I think you bring up a good point um, when you say that you've gone there so many times mm-hmm. uh, you know the shows I think give a false impression of what ghost hunting is about and I'm not a ghost hunter but I've been around enough to know what it is that that, that ghost hunters do or right. should be doing um, you know, you go to a location, you sit there for hours with a recorder, and you try to make things. You try to see if things happen, and it takes a long time. So the shows edit that down to where oh. it looks like it's an hour long. You know, it's like a, right. a time compression. Uh, yeah. But then the other thing that you're not seeing is, oh well, we didn't find anything here. But uh, but the thing is, is that like what you were doing at the Octagon House, you went back several times. And the like. as you said, the, the spirits there probably got to know you and who you are. And it's just like right. that one time doesn't necessarily mean that something couldn't happen a month from now, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that they give a false, that the shows can give a false impression that way.
3: What I found interesting one time during my research, probably towards the end, probably the last few months I was still active out there, is that I was having pretty good success rates with having things happen. You know, I I set up situations where I could actually hear somebody open and close a door upstairs with me and two witnesses uh, below. Um, I also had the same two people witness the fact that after playing certain types of music, certain kinds of music, walking through two-way radios, one left upstairs, and mine with me, and baby monitors spread around so that I could hear in rooms, to hear what was going on. Um, it, it, you get some really interesting things. I actually had somebody start singing upstairs, and I have that on audio, but it's very faint. But somebody began singing, and that was just mind-blowing. Yeah. And that, was, that wasn't that on a two-way radio. that We could hear it audibly with our ears.
2: Wow. Do you know what they were singing?
3: No. I have no idea. I
2: was I were, just wondering if it was time period appropriate.
3: I, I wish I could tell you. I really do. Yeah. I was but The most upsetting things with a lot of the activity taking place is that I don't have materials close enough to them. And I think they know that. I really believe that while you're going around setting things up, they're right there with you going, well, what's this for? What are you doing with that? Well, you know, it's like do I really want to be on camera? And they kind of fall back on that, I really don't want to be on camera. You know, maybe I don't look my best, or maybe I don't know how I look or how I will appear, or maybe, you know what I mean? It could be stage fright, so to speak, that human reaction without realizing, hey, I passed away, I don't have to worry anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Paul, the time we've got left, uh, what are you working on now? What's what's the future for you? And uh, where can people grab your books and uh, contact you?
3: Okay. Well, I I recently posted some stuff on Facebook that said I was basically going down the rabbit hole. A lot of people didn't understand what I meant by that. I also told them that I was giving my last interview for the foreseeable future on your show. Now, the reason why is because prior to this moment, I used to go to events, I used to lecture, and so on and so forth. I did television to a degree, only to see if I could actually get you know, methods I have out there so that other people could watch and learn, but that wasn't a good venue or a good path to follow, so I gave up on that. Um, I want to go 100% research, and I'm devoting the most amount of time to it. I really just, I don't want to go around lecturing anymore. I don't want to go around doing a bunch of events. You know, there may be special occasions down the road. It's hard to say, but I'm not trying to, you know what I mean?
1: Right.
3: I, I'm not making myself as available as I was before. And so, you know, you can buy my books, learn some things, you know, it's written so that it's very easy to understand, it's very quick to pick up, and um, you can get all that stuff at uh, on my official website at uh, www.paulbrowning.net. It's not .com, it's .net. Okay. And that has, that has my book links and whatnot. And speaking of books, I'm going to start plowing through another one and uh, put a lot of uh, things that, uh, that I think would be uh, fun to read and and hear some of the accounts and some of the weird stuff that I've dealt with. Uh, a book kind of aimed at the widest audience possible instead of the paranormal investigator, not just the paranormal investigator.
2: Right.
3: So I think with that... I really don't have any events lined up at this point. I think I'm pretty much hold-free. But uh, people can still get a hold of me through Facebook. Uh, don't be surprised if I whittle my friends list down to an incredibly small amount. But regardless, if you need to get a hold of me, there's still contact email on my official page. Uh, you can still get a hold of me on Facebook. Send me a personal message or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, <laughs> go completely away and no one will ever find me again. So
2: Sure. Sure, you're not going to be a hermit. (laughs) (laughs) No,
3: if you just scream down the rabbit hole enough,
2: I'll probably come out and answer. Cool. Well, thank you, Paul, for coming on, and uh, you've been a great guest. Um, Just stay on the line. I'm going to just close this part out. And uh, everybody, I will be right back on Conspiranormal. All right, and I am back on Um, I want to thank Paul Browning for coming on tonight. That was great. Uh, as you probably heard towards the end of the interview, that that is going to be his last interview for a while. So I am immensely privileged to have him come on. I've been following Paul for a while. Um, some of the things at the, the Octagon Hall. met him a couple of years ago at the... Um, Mid-South Paranormal Convention, where, of course, I had also met Dr. uh, uh, Bishop Long and uh, some other people that I want to try to get on the show, but uh, had heard some of his things like my ghost story and such and saw that he was here, and um, I'm always interested in bringing people in in my area, the Nashville area, um, and and around, like the Tennessee Wraith Chasers and uh, some other people dr future is here in this area tom bionic is here in this area guy malone is here in this area chris white uh so you know i'm always interested in having people that are here local that are doing research and studying the paranormal and the conspiracy topics so um very proud of had paul on uh luke was mia tonight tried to reach him could not contact him He's probably um, dead in his car or something. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. So, um, just want to thank everybody for coming uh, for listening tonight. Um, I want to thank Paul for coming on, especially during the uh, Labor Day holiday. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have another guest. Not quite sure who yet, but uh, we will be back. And uh, join us next time on Normal.